Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm joined today by Lee Cockrell, former executive vice president of operations for the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, Lee is also the author of Creating Magic 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney. Lee, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. And as we did joke a little bit before we started, you know, the hair is just sort of incidental. Uh, <laughs> I happen to wear this style, but I thought it made perfect sense, especially today. And you have the Mickey Mouse right in back of you. So <laughs> it's even more perfect. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. So I think before we begin, though, I really want people to get the magnitude of, of what you did at Disney. And I was reading about your responsibilities, uh, as the executive, um, well, the, uh, the senior operating executive for 10 years. So you let a team cast members, we call them actually 40,000 people, right? And you were responsible for the operations of 20 resort hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, a shopping and entertainment village, and the ESPN sports and recreation complex, in addition to all the basic operations. So that is so mind-boggling. And I really want to ask you, what was it like for you on a day-to-day handling such tremendous responsibility when, like, if something went wrong, it would pretty much reflect who was in charge of everything, which would be you? What was that like? Well, I think the key to my success my whole life has been picking the right people to run the different parts of the business. And I'm really good at that. And I take my time and I hire experts and then I let them do their job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have an engineer that runs all the maintenance, 5,000 maintenance people, all the things we build. And pretty much I'm just there if he needs something to call me and let me help him out. But he, I mean, I don't even have a college degree and here I got an engineer working for me. So uh, then uh, retail, it's a multi-billion dollar business. It's a very complicated business and uh, food and beverage and security today transportation mm. so I, I i think you know the advice to anybody even listening today the most important thing you're ever going to do is the people you hire and bring around you and uh, people said what'd you do at disney i said nothing <laughs> i just made sure i had the people who did something and they knew what they were doing they were experts mm. and uh, i was available if they needed me to go fight a battle for more people or more expenses or whatever that was. But generally uh, that's was how I did it. And I, I suggest most people don't do it that way and they should. And uh, the world has gotten way too complex. There's no way you can be an expert in all those areas. And uh, it takes the full attention, each one of those. I mean, can you imagine we, we do 200 million transactions in food and beverage a year. And you need somebody there that's watching it every second and not just uh, me coming around occasionally. <laughs> so uh, even though I had a background in food and beverage, I had somebody better than me. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, just the key. That's the key to success. People. 
Yeah, and I know you had that background because you did. Uh, you worked in hospitality, major hotel chains before uh, you, or not chains, but major hotel corporations before you actually got the the job at Disney in 1990. So you brought all that forward, but you raise a great point, and it's something that I hear often when I speak to successful leaders, which is you you cannot try to profess the, to be the person who knows everything and the one who's going to do everything. And the smart leaders know to surround themselves with experts who all have their own areas of expertise. That's such a great bit of information. Well, somebody said, once you know everything, you can't learn anything. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you really get in trouble, make mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know that with your background, of course, as an expert in leadership management, customer service and culture specifically as well, you have a saying that is, if you don't create the culture you want, you are stuck with the culture you get. Well, it's kind of like your mother. If you don't develop your kids, you get something you might not want. <laughs> If you don't teach them ethics and honesty and hard work and uh, all those kinds of things, and that's what happens in the culture. you got to uh, be clear about what you're trying to achieve, and then you've got to communicate that to everybody. I think one of the big problems today is we're not clear about our expectations for behavior, for performance, how we treat people, and you got to have clarity of expectations, and you can define those. And uh, I think most of us know somebody said, if you want to change the world, start with your values. <laughs> You know, and I think uh, that's that's, again, the same old thing. It's uh, focus on the people and uh, create and design and think about what you value and what you want the guests to value and what you want the employees to value and then state those and then teach people how to do it. And most important is people are coming in every day to the organization. They've never worked there before. You don't know what the values were at the last place they were or the standards or what did excellence look like or, you know. So we've got to make sure that we do a lot of training around uh, that. And about half our training is on attitude, making sure people have the right attitude to serve. You know, serving is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's. Interesting because I also see so many correlations when I, well, when I talk to people, as I mentioned, uh, successful leaders and people who are just doing well in business in general, when I talk to them, very often the, the attributes that they are bringing forward that are making them successful, I can clearly tie to, as you just alluded to, personal values as well. There's a direct correlation. So when I read this statement from you about culture, I thought the same thing goes on in real life. Like if you are not cultivating productive, positive relationships, your outcomes are not going to be very productive or positive. It's almost the exact same parallel going on in real life. Would you say that's a, a fair assessment? Absolutely. You know, there's a so sense if uh, you're. If you're not committed to your team and your people, they won't be committed to you. It's kind of like marriage. <laughs> you know, if I tell my wife I love her, she stays. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't hear it enough. She might not stick around. I've been right. married 54 years and she says she's going to stay. So I guess I'm doing better. <laughs> yeah, I think you did OK. But, you know, it's just uh, it's just uh, treating people right. You know, I mean, the world is a big mess right now. Mm. People don't value each other. And we want a place at Disney where everybody matters and they know it. They actually know they matter. And the uh, best way to make sure people know they matter is to tell them, hey, we love you. We're glad you're here. We hope you stay with us. You're doing a great job. Or, you know, I mean, it's just create a place where people wake up in the morning, want to come to work, not have to come just for the paycheck. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. No. And, and it's funny because that leads me right to my next point, because you also spoke, you speak about how people feel they don't matter sometimes in leadership. And I think I saw in some of your work, there's a an, an 80% of people don't like where they work and they don't feel like they matter to their leadership. And so I know you believe that one way to change that is to work more on inclusion. So I'm curious to know, uh, how does inclusion impact that 80% number? Oh, well, I can tell you, if if you show respect to people and include them and listen to them, train them, develop them so they have a better life and you give them a good dose of appreciation, recognition and, and uh, encouragement, people don't leave that environment. <laughs> they wake up in the morning and sometimes the environment at work, if you have the right culture, well, they'll look forward to getting out of the environment they live in. It may be the sun shines at work, and uh, that's the best way. Uh, uh, I think uh, we don't have a recruiting problem. We have a turnover problem in life, and we need to keep people instead of always looking for new people. Yeah, And we don't yeah. treat people as individuals. We don't, you know, when they need daycare or when their mother's in the hospital to make sure we're working with them to take, so they take care of themselves. So then they'll come back and mm-hmm. take care of us. I think it's so basic that people make it too complicated, you know, just treat people. You know, I grew up in Oklahoma hmm. in the 40s and 50s, and it was pretty racist. I went to a, we had a white school, a black school and a third school for Native Americans. Hmm. That's how separated it was. I didn't meet a black person until I was 20 years old. Really? I went in the Army in 1964, just about the time that the civil rights laws were passed by LBJ. And uh, I look back on that. Today, I've been to 48 countries. I do work all over the world. After I got out of the Army at 20, after leaving Oklahoma, I went to Washington, D.C. Now, if you don't like other people, don't go to Washington because <laughs> everybody is from somewhere else. Yeah. You, I, the white guy, me, will be the minority. And, uh, I, and when you're in the hospitality entertainment business, everybody, that's a starter job. Everybody's from another country. They're from everywhere. They become your friends. You go out together. You date them. You eat, go to the picnics together. Right. And, uh, I tell young people today, once you, Get away from home, leave the village, go to the big city, meet people, learn. Uh, you can always go back there one day, but the village is not going to change. And sometimes that village is just your family and the people in the neighborhood. And uh, that's what changed me is like exposure. You know, I think, you know, we talk about how important education is and it is. But I think experience and exposure may develop you even more than uh, just uh, going to your, uh, you know, school where everybody's kind of like you. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, and education's easy today. Everything's at our fingertips. It's on our phone. We can get it. We can, if you don't know something, it's your own fault, you know, look it up. Yeah. But then there's also the argument about the quality of the information. That is a bit of a, you know, of, there's almost too much information. So you have to be mindful too of like what you're consuming. That's also. I think you're right there. You have to pick you know, you could take a courses from Harvard. They're online. They're free from Princeton, from Yale, from you can make sure you pick the right podcast to listen to somebody who's actually done it. Right. I agree with you. You can get a lot of uh, 
bad information too on Google. And that's when people get sick, they go to Dr. Google and then they get terrified. <laughs> yeah. I know my doctor is like so sick of me calling him. Like I'm actually naming parts. I'm like my fifth metatorso hurts. He's like, get off of the internet, Corey. You're fine. You're not dying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, you brought me right to another point though. I love the segue. Cause it's my, cause my next question for you was about something we stress here at the NSLS, which is the growth mindset, which speaks to the willingness to evolve and adapt to new situations. So when it comes to inclusion, you have this great quote I saw also on your website that says, and I think you just spoke to that, which is you don't have to stay where you are or how you were raised to see the world. So, I mean, in essence, what you were saying there is like, you know, you came from a pretty racist I could, I think just generation in America by it no was. fault of your own. It was just the time you were born in. Yeah. And you had to do the work to. Yeah. But the problem is I thought it was okay. I didn't, it's just the way it was. I didn't even know because I was that isolated in this little farm town. And uh, that's, the, I tell everybody today, have a deep discussion with yourself uh, about what you believe because your brain, about half the stuff in your brain is not true. <laughs> and about half the, that's the stuff your parents taught you is not true. So you need to go find out the truth. <laughs> I, I tell people today, I have friends named Mohammed, <laughs> Ricardo, Maria, Reggie. Uh, you know, I, I didn't in Oklahoma. And I can just tell you, it's exposure, experience. And everybody, I said, I've traveled all over the world. And all over the world, I see people with uh, strollers and babies, and they love them. That's all I can tell you, you know. And they're trying to make a living and just do the best they can. And we too often associate government with the people. It's not even close. Hmm. No, I know. And it's a shame because I think you raise a great point there, which is so many of us, until we make a choice to go outside of our own backyards, we will never evolve that way. And um, I read an article about how most Americans, I think not most, but a large percentage, it might have been like 40% of Americans don't have passports. And I thought, yeah, that's a big number, right? And I think it's uh, startling because, of course, until you get out of this country maybe and see how other people live and exist and survive, I, I, I think you are kind of going through life with like one one eye closed, if you will, one arm behind your back. Oh, I'd say it's at least 40%. I absolutely. And uh, I tell people, well, if you can't travel and you don't have enough money, at least go to a Mexican restaurant tonight. <laughs> right. An <laughs> authentic one, not Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> and meet people in your community that are from other, but they're all they're in every community, refugees, people trying to work through your church. I mean, uh, if you want to expand your knowledge of the world, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the lesson too, that we're getting, uh, that we get from you, which is that if you're willing to put, in the work, you're not relegated to just the life that was sort of dictated for you by your environment. Well, there's so much we don't understand. I mean, about when these prejudices you have, and then all of a sudden you find out it wasn't even true. <laughs> you know, that what we believe can get pretty stuck in our brains without that exposure and experience out in the world and meeting people. And uh, so it's uh, a lot of people got a lot of work to do. And I think the young people today are going to be our savior because they're all over the world and they're traveling and they're uh, on the Internet. They're not so isolated. So their thinking is not so isolated, expanding the way you think and who you who you hang out with. Mm -hmm. Well, the Gen Z phenomenon that's sort of always in the headlines, Generation Z, 
they're an interesting group. And I have been speaking to some young people from that demographic. And to what you were saying earlier about corporations taking care of people better, I think what we're seeing now is the Gen Z generation, Generation Z, they are actually holding corporations more accountable than any other generation. They're saying, no, we don't really want to work for you unless you give me daycare or options to work from home. So I have a positive work-life balance. And I think there's a lot of resentment against them for that by some of the older, the older gatekeepers. There always is, you know, I uh, have three grandchildren that are 27, 24 and 21. So I know exactly. And they're right. They consider everything when they go to get a job. They don't consider just the title and a paycheck. They want to know the whole ball of wax. And when you're interviewing them, you better tell them what's in it for them, not just what's in it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't care what's in it for you. They care what's in it for me. Yeah. And uh, they, they've seen their parents divorce and break up and not have a life. And uh, no, it's true. God bless them. I'm so proud of my grandkids. One lives in Boston, one lives in France, and one lives in Denver. They were out of here as soon as they could. Be. <laughs> <laughs> They're never coming back. They got, I mean, they just, uh, have been exposed. That's it. Education. And they've been traveled. They've been around. They know what's going on. They have friends from every race and every religion. And it's, they're just better people. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, hats off to you and your family for, you know, raising such great grandchildren because <laughs> that does have to happen from the environment. I mean, that's how on the, on the reciprocal, uh, that's where the prejudice and the bad stuff comes from when people continue to, just every generation continue. Like my mother is, uh, my mother was born in 1949 and my grandfather passed in June, but he was 93. And he and I would talk about, he could not believe at 93, born in 1929, <laughs> that he was seeing all of this vitriol with race. And he was like, I have to see this again. Like, really? As, on my way out too, I have to see, you know, and it's fascinating that, you know, it's because generations upon generations will continue to keep it going. So I'm thankful when I hear stories like yours. With well, your yeah, it's taught. I mean, my grand great grandparents sent it down to my grandparents and then down to my parents and they all stayed in one place. They never, that's what it was, everything in the paper, everybody got together and joked about each other and, and uh, we escaped. <laughs> we know we escaped. When you escape a bad environment, you get better. That's why we always tell people, be careful who you hang out with. You and a lot of kids get in trouble because of the people they hang out with, you know, especially when you're young, because your judgment is zero. And then sometimes there's a little alcohol added to that. <laughs> then your judgment really goes downhill and you get one big problem and you get in trouble and it gets on the Internet. And then your employers. I mean, it's so important. We keep people early on understanding uh, how, you know, my grandkids went to a private school and graduation. The school brings in two police officers two lawyers to talk to the graduating class about you're now turning 18. Here's the real life. It's shocking. Yeah. yeah. And the kids, it's probably one of the best things that happened. We ought to have that happen probably even in middle school or mm -hmm. to give people, because people don't listen to their parents and they don't listen to their teachers, but they listen to the experts. Oh, but they do listen to their grandparents. So that's, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's, um, uh, just again, they don't know. They don't know. You know, I did a lot of stupid things when I was a teenager. And, 
luckily that luckily there was no internet <laughs> oh man i always say that i was like oh my gosh thank goodness but you know because you're absolutely right it's a minefield now for for young people because of all that stuff coming at them and the the instant broadcasting ability and and really terrible examples of things that people have found themselves in like when they were inadvertently recorded by someone or you know, a revenge situation. I mean, all these awful things that just did not exist. We didn't have to deal with them. So that added pressure for a youth today is terrifying. I'm happy that I don't have to deal with it's it. It's huge. You know, it's a big deal. So we all got to behave ourselves and set a better example. And, uh, you know, I said we need less bosses and more teachers. I mean, nobody likes their boss, but they always like a teacher. Somebody teaches you something. Well, you know, it's on that same note too. It, when you talk about uh, bosses, I guess we can say, and the conversation about how people don't stay at jobs, I have read very often that, and I know this is a big part of how you teach leadership in corporations, because when it comes from the top, those people can be trained better on how to manage the people who report to them. Because most people, as I've read, when they quit a job, they don't quit the job. They quit the people or they quit the manager. Yeah. At Disney, we think we're really good and we really take care of people and all. But when a manager quits or an employee quits, 99% of the time, it's because of their leader. They're working for some jerk that's not paying attention. And it's not only that people don't want to do a good job. They're so, some people are so disorganized, they're overwhelmed, and they just can't take care of people. They can't, they can't pick up the responsibility. It's like a, a mother having a child when they're 14. They just don't know how to make those hard decisions, have those hard conversations. And, and, uh, we know, uh, people leave people. I've left myself. I left a job with Hilton over my boys. He was just a guy I didn't want to be around, didn't want to work with. And it was all about him. And, uh, it's got to be about them. Mm-hmm. Well, you say in your, um, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you, you say as part of your philosophy that, you know, the first, I, I think I was reading some excerpts from your book and it talks about leaders, in customer service uh, organizations, knowing that it doesn't start with the customer. Like the customer is not the starting point. The, your, your people are the starting point because they have to go out and interact with the customers to help you retain the business, right? So it's like your, it's like your mother. She's the starting point for you. She developed you. She trained you. She's, she set your ethics and honesty and, how you treat people and you you learned that at home absolutely yep and especially as a single mom mine like really taught me as a single mother yes well and when people get in the workforce they learn from that first manager they they misunderstand what uh, it looks like and um i tell people today be the kind of manager you hope your children have when they go in the workforce mm, yeah yeah and are you that kind of manager are you that kind of leader that you want your daughter to have or your son or your mother or that puts another perspective on it about uh, what it looks like to be a good leader. Right, right. It's hard. It's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a leader at work. Yeah. I know my first time in management uh, out of college, I was working um, and I'm a copywriter in advertising as well. And so I got a couple years in, I got my first promotion to manager of copy and I was given my first um, team. They said, you can hire two junior writers to report to you. And I was like, this is great. And maybe six weeks in, I realized that 80% of my job was not managing 
their abilities to be writers because they were both great. And so I, that's why I hired them. It was really how I helped mentor, nurture, make sure they were okay, understanding when they may have had a problem at home and they were bringing it to work and how to pull them aside. I had to learn it was management of people was more the job than the actual job itself. And I learned that myself. And that's a really great point to make. Exactly. I think and when once you learn that, I mean, somebody said the other day, too many people think that being a leader is just telling people what to do. <laughs> that's the last thing. It right. Is. That's easy. Yeah. And that's usually uh, insecure people. You know, I tell people all the time, if somebody's yelling at you or making you feel insecure or dressing you down, I guarantee you that's an insecure person that has this uh, control problem. Uh, they're uncomfortable. They want to be in charge. And uh, uh, don't be in charge. Just get the work done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. You know, I always said, I don't want people working for me. I want them working with me. With. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.